Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me once again from this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Cliff Murphy. Cliff, how are you? I'm doing really well, Bill. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Hey, have you been hearing about the Toronto Raptors lately? You know, Kyle Lowry is a savvy veteran. Oh, wow. He really is. He really is. <laughs> as long as you have no more follow-up questions, that's where that's where I'm at. <laughs> Well, Cliff, thank you so much uh, for coming on last week to talk about sports and Steven Universe with me uh, for our screen watching. Oh yeah, my pleasure. At this point, I think it would be fun, though, if we talked about the games we've been playing since the holidays. And, uh, hey Cliff, what you playing? I'm glad you asked. There's been a few things that I've added to my list, because, uh, uh, you know, Steam throws a whole bunch of different stuff at you. Uh, so there's a few things I picked up. got the uh, Halo Master Chief Collection, and I, I was playing uh, Halo Reach for a little bit there. Uh, I haven't touched it in a month, but uh, I'm sure I'm going to go back and finish that at some point. So that was one thing there. Another game I picked up over the Steam Winter Break was uh, The Witcher 3. I haven't put too much time into it. I've kind of like uh, played around with it a little bit, but I want to finish off a few other games before I get into it because everybody's told me that it's a huge world and it'll pull me right in. Have you checked out the Netflix series yet? No, I haven't done that either because I don't... I feel like... Do you know, should I play the game first, or should I watch the thing, and will the series give me a, a better appreciation for the game, or do you have any idea? Here is what I understand. Uh, so I haven't played any of The Witcher. I watched two episodes of the Netflix series, and you can listen to those on a previous episode of So Many Bits, Game of the Year 2019, wink wink. Uh, what I understand is this series is set before The Witcher 3, so you may learn things about the series from playing the game, or the, ser- uh, the game from the series, but it's not like one is... They're not parallel to each other, so you wouldn't be spoiling yourself. Okay, so I, I don't need to worry about that too much. Yeah. what From what I know about the third Witcher game, uh, like how far have you played in The Witcher 3? Like an hour or two hours? Oh, God, yeah, an hour, something like that. I, I haven't done too much. Like I got to the first town, and then I'd just been running around and doing various quests and things like that. I'm not, I really don't even have a feel for how the game is supposed to go, you know? So this is non-spoilery. The Witcher series is about Geralt, Ciri, yep. and Yennefer. That's who has been introduced yep. so far. So you probably have already heard those names in The Witcher 3, and this the series is going to be like, what led them to the point of The Witcher 3, more or less. Oh, interesting. Okay, so it's almost uh, almost a prequel, would you say? Yeah. Uh, so The the Witcher, again, I have not, never touched any of this, just like know about it tangentially, but there are like five mm. Witcher books. And the okay. series right now is on like book one. Okay. And The Witcher 3 game is like later on, on its own narrative plot line. Basically. Like there are similarities, there are differences, but they're later on in yeah. the story. So it's, uh, I guess it's kind of tricky to say because they're all around the same sort of central themes with the same sort of characters, but they're all slightly different. Right. I'm wondering if it's going to end up like with, uh, you could read A Feast of Crows and it would basically spoil nothing for you about where the later seasons of Game of Thrones go. But there are the same characters and they maybe do similar things. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, uh, 
Witcher and all that sort of stuff. But the uh, the other games that I've I've been playing more often, uh, I got uh, I picked up Disco Elysium per the recommendation of a couple of friends of mine. I've been playing that. Of course, I've been playing uh, Slay the Spire as well. But uh, <laughs> that's that's what I played. I'm almost at 350 hours on that now. So uh, I do want to talk about Disco Elysium a little bit. So. For anybody who's not aware of it, Disco Elysium, developed by a small studio, I don't know too much about them, but it is a it is a role-playing game uh, when you play as a, a cop in this sort of, it feels kind of post-apocalyptic-y, it, it's more, it's be, I guess it's better to describe it as like post-conflict. You're in this city that's uh, kind of like the bombed-out shell of its former glory, and you're a cop, and you're trying to solve a murder, basically. That's the premise of it. And it's kind of, it's it plays as an RPG in the sense that you've got different stats and you can gain experience and put more points into your stats to make them better. But it also kind of plays like a point-and-click adventure game in the sense that you're you're exploring the environment, you're clicking and interacting on stuff, and, you know, you can pick up different items. And, you know, the items will affect your stats as well. You know, you can pick up sunglasses, for example, that are going to make you, you know, better able to see things, but they decrease, you know... I don't know, something something else, anyway. The interesting thing about it, there's a, I mean, there's loads of interesting things about it, but when I say that it's an RPG and that you can increase your stats, the stats that you can increase are not in any sense the conventional sort of stuff. So if you think about an RPG and like, you know, you're increasing your, your strength and your charisma and that sort of stuff, it's nothing at all like any of that sort of stuff so you have a stat that's like your perception that's that's pretty that's pretty straightforward but you also have like another stat of like your conceptualization like how able you're able to figure out things in your mind and you've got another stat uh which is called like your electrochemistry which is like your response to drugs and alcohol you've got other stats that are all about like intimidation or like working with other people or your empathy is a skill as well right uh, so you've got all these different stats that affect slightly different things based on the, the the way that i set up the character at the beginning one of my highest stats is just called encyclopedia which basically <laughs> means that when you're talking to different people or when you're learning about different things encyclopedia will chime in and be like hey here's an interesting fact about this Often it has nothing to do with what you're actually trying to do. It just gives you more information. I remember there's even like a little dialogue between you and Encyclopedia. And uh, Encyclopedia's like, well, how about this? And you're like, that doesn't help. <laughs> and then it goes on a little bit later on. And Encyclopedia's like, okay, I'm going to try again. How about this? And it just never works. So that's uh, that's a pretty neat that's a pretty neat thing. So while you're trying to you know uh, solve this crime and do all this different sort of stuff, you're you're putting uh, points into the skills. And another neat thing about it is that it's got a very much like it's very much like a role playing game, but in like also the sense of like a traditional like dice and paper role playing game because all of your different checks with all these different skills relate to the roll of two uh, d six. And depending on where you score compared to the challenge level, that depends on whether or not you succeed. So there's at one point you're talking to this kid named Kuno. Uh, if anybody's played the game, you know Kuno. But you try and figure out what's going on with this kid and you have to do a, a, a 
scale check relating to empathy, right? Uh, so you have your baseline for empathy and then you can add modifiers to it, like depending on the different clothing and stuff you're wearing and then any other bonuses that you have. And then you roll the two dice and you add that to your empathy skill. And if that beats the target, you're successful, right? But depending on the different things that you're trying to do, it can be more or less difficult. But that's, that's just an example of what's going on there. Something else that's really cool that the game does is that uh, apparently all the decisions that you make have some sort of impact on stuff that happens later on. I have no idea what that impact is going to be because I've only played it for maybe about 10 hours or so, but there's certain things that you're being asked to do, and I'm sure depending on what you do, it's going to affect what the storyline ends up being. But without giving too much away, at a certain point, for one reason or another, you have to get uh, some signatures, right? Uh, you're given an, an envelope with a letter in it, and you've got to get the signatures of two different people. And for one reason or another, it ended up that uh, I got the signature from one person, but then I couldn't get the signature from the other person. But then the idea came up that we could just forge the signature. And so I forged it and then mailed it like I was supposed to do and then went back and talked to the guy and said, yeah, I got your signatures, but one of them was forged. I have no idea if that's going to impact what happens a little bit later on, but I've done it now. So whatever the consequences are, if any, I'm going to have to deal with it later on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm curious to find out as well because a lot of games, a lot of games have been, you know, hyping that they allow you to choose your own adventure, but eventually the rails come in and they kind of like funnel you towards a set storyline ending or they can't quite stick the landing. So I'm curious if Disco Elysium can find a new dimension to that ending chapter. I guess we'll we'll find out together, won't we? I have I guess I have we no will. Idea. <laughs> <laughs> From talking to a friend of mine who's also playing the game, like there are other things that affect what what shows up, like based on the dialogue options that you're choosing. Uh, so the cop that you're playing as wakes up with like a wicked hangover and has no idea what's going on, doesn't remember anything about his life or even his name, and so depending on different things that you do, you're going to get different options available. So apparently, I've been going around just saying, I'm sorry, so much that it unlocked something called Sorry Cop. <laughs> so <laughs> now that's an idea that I have in my head because I've just been apologizing because you wake up and you're hungover and someone's like, hey, you haven't paid your bill. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And then <laughs> someone's like, hey, you crashed your car into that thing. I'm sorry. So... That's kind of what, what's been happening there. But my friend who's been playing it has been doing it a very different way and getting different options. Even trying to figure out your name becomes a part of the game. And I found the name, which I think is his real name, but my, my friend, I guess, was exploring more like artistic stuff. And so was telling me that his name is now like a series of sounds and colors or something <laughs> like that. So something totally different. So... In any case, it, it, it seems like it's got a lot of a lot of cool options. Uh, I would certainly recommend it. It's very different than a lot of other games, but if you like point-and-click games, and if you like puzzle solving, and if you're open to a game that has a lot of reading in it, uh, then I'd certainly recommend uh, Disco Elysium, because the, the music's great, the art style's great, the storyline's cool, and just the way the game plays is, uh, is very different from anything else that uh, I've ever seen. Excellent. Yeah, please keep me posted. Uh, the game kind of came out of nowhere, I think, in like November, and it ended up having a lot of critical acclaim. 
It even got uh, awards at the Game Awards in December. So people people really caught caught the attention. People like this game. <laughs> <laughs> people like this game is what you're saying. Uh, That's my expert yeah, analysis. It's, yeah, it, it's uh, an appropriate conclusion to that. I actually I bought it and then my dumb computer couldn't run it. For some reason, my computer, my tower had a, a worse processor than the laptop that I bought for work. So I had to put a whole bunch of, so I bought Disco Elysium, couldn't run it, had to put a whole bunch of new stuff into my computer so that I could run it, but now I'm running it and it's worth it. The other game that I've been playing continually since it came out is uh, Slay the Spire. And uh, they had a pretty sizable update this past week, which is they released their fourth character out of beta. I've been I've been playing in the beta to see the fourth character as it was developing, but now it's out of beta. It's been officially released. Uh, I think it's been released on just on PC. Uh, a friend of mine plays it on the Switch, and I don't think it's come out on the Switch yet, but it will be shortly. Yeah, so that's a big new thing is the uh, the fourth character to get released. And, uh, I mean, one of the many things that I love about this game is how much care and attention uh, these guys are putting into every single one of these characters. Uh, they're all unique, and they're all, they're all super, super different. The newest character is called the Watcher, and the premise behind her is her divine stances, basically. And so you have different cards that will switch your stances, and the, the basic two are called Calm and Wrath. When you are in Calm, uh, there's no immediate benefit, but when you leave Calm, you get two additional energy that you can use to play other cards on your turn. Wrath, on the other hand, uh, means that you deal twice as much damage to your enemies, but you also take twice as much damage. So you have to balance your use of both of these. You can't necessarily stay in Wrath when your enemies are going to do big attacks on you because it'll be devastating. Facing off against the bronze automaton for example which is uh, one of the bosses for the second uh the second level the bronze automaton after a few turns does a move uh called hyper beam which does about 50 damage that's a lot and if you were in <laughs> it's a lot right and it's a lot for any character because i mean it's it, it doesn't matter who you are it's going to be half your health uh at least but if you were in Wrath, that 50 becomes 100, and 100 is almost impossible to defend against. So you need to coordinate your uses of these two. But they, they sync up really interestingly. So when you exit Calm, uh, you gain two energy. So if you are in Calm and then you switch to Wrath, not only are you doing much more damage, but you have two additional energy. And then if you can use do a bunch of different attacks and then exit that stance or go back into Calm, uh, you're going to mitigate that big increase in uh, in damage there. Cliff, can I jump in with a mechanics question here? Sure, yeah. So is this similar to how the Construct works, where the Construct will have cards that specifically say, like, add an orb, discharge an orb? Like, will the Watcher's card say, like, switch to Calm Stance, switch to Wrath Stance? Yep. Okay, yep. awesome. Uh, it works, it works uh, basically the exact same sort of way. And... Uh, at, at the beginning, in her starter deck, uh, there's a card that puts you into Wrath. It deals damage and puts you into Wrath. And uh, you have another card which uh, gives you block and puts you into Calm, right? And uh, that's in your basic that's in your basic starter deck. But you can get other 
uh, cards that are going to let you do, let you get into these different stances in different ways, um, or give you bonuses depending on what stance you're in. Uh, there's a card, I think it's called Like Water, and it says if you end your turn when you're in Calm, you gain five block. So if you can stack a few of these cards, if you get a few copies of them, and you just stay in Calm, it just gives you a whole bunch of block automatically, which is kind of nice. Uh, there's some other cards that will, if you're in Wrath, uh, it'll apply Vulnerable uh, to enemies. Or if you're not in Wrath, it puts you into Wrath, you know, these sorts of things. There's one other stance as well uh, that she has, which is called Divinity. And uh, Divinity, going into it, is difficult because uh, normally what you have to do is build up uh, what are called Mantra or mantra, however you want to pronounce that. And once you get to 10 mantra, uh, you go into divinity automatically. And in divinity, you get a few more energy automatically. I think you get three additional energy, but you do triple damage when you're in divinity. So it takes a while to build up to it, but once you build up to it, you can have these huge turns and do just a, a ton of damage there. So one of the other strategies that you can do is try and get these cards that build up your mantra and build it up fast and then you have one big high damage card that you try and get and time so that you get it the same turn that you enter divinity uh, ah which is, i see i see you know uh so there's one card i think it's called ragnarok and uh, ragnarok deals five damage five times which is pretty cool when it's upgraded it deals six damage six times so if you have upgraded ragnarok and you go into divinity it deals triple that amount so it would deal 18 damage six times which right and depending on the if you have any additional strength it adds it on to that you know if you have any other modifiers or that sort of stuff if they're vulnerable for example uh it can just be a huge 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 attack uh which is super super neat so that's that's uh one of the strategies that you can have there but um she's got you know loads of different cards and stuff one of her new cards that she has as well is called uh diva form and it's interesting to see how diva form changed in the development because when it was originally put out uh diva form gave you 12 plated armor and plated armor gives you defense at the end of your turn, but if an enemy breaks through, it will decrease the amount of plated armor that you have. So if you take 13 damage, for example, you're only going to have 11 plated armor and then 10. So it's okay, but it's not great. Every character has a different uh, form, like a form card. Uh, so the Ironclad has something called Demon Form, and Demon Form gives you additional strength every single turn, right? Like add two strength, add three strength uh, every single turn. Cliff, can I just jump in uh, with another general question? Sure, 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 sure. So you, you mentioned the other classes. Uh, from my understanding of the game, it sounds like the Watcher is a more complicated class than like, like say the Ironclad and the Silent are a little mm -hmm. simpler, and then like the Construct is complicated, and now the Watcher sounds also complicated. Yeah, if I was telling anybody to uh, get into the game, uh, I mean, I would start off with the Ironclad because the 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 roads to success with the Ironclad are a lot more simple and straightforward because it's basically just damage and strength, right? Uh, I mean, there's other things that you can do, but it damage and strength, right? Uh, silent is uh, is you can do poison. Uh, you can do some things with shivs and just get a lot of really low-cost damage cards, which is pretty cool. Uh, the other one you've been calling the Construct is the Defect. 
the defect you can do you depending on the orbs that you have uh, it, it's a little bit more complicated i would agree but the watcher i think seems more complicated but i think it's just a matter of becoming familiar with the options that are available um, once you get the idea that you can switch between these stances and the idea is switching into the one that's going to serve the purpose that you need then it becomes a little bit more straightforward okay awesome so so with this card, with Diva Form, they had it originally as 12-plated armor. They changed it because I'm pretty sure most people were saying, hey, this card's useless. And it costs three energy, so it's a useless card. They changed it now, so Diva Form now gives you one additional energy, and then every turn it gives you another additional energy. So if you start with three, the next turn you'll have four and then you'll have five, and then you'll have six, and then you'll have seven. So it just gets better and better and better and better. It's amazing. <laughs> so uh, she's got a whole lot of like really cool stuff that she has there, which is, which is pretty neat. But in any case, uh, yeah, so she's been released uh, this week, and it's, it's super cool. So it it's just gives you another reason to love this game, is just that they're adding additional content. Al along with The Watcher, they've also added in new relics, uh, there's been new tweaks, I think, for other cards, for other characters, I think. Don't quote me on that. But for sure new relics and just just new stuff for the game, which is, uh, which is great. So uh, if you haven't played it in a little while, I'd recommend going back and checking it out because they, uh, they are always putting more stuff in there or tweaking the stuff that's already in there to make it even better. I've really had a good relationship with Slay the Spire in the sense that I've put a lot of time into it. I'd say like 30 or 40 hours total, but I'll step away for a few months and then I'll come back. Every time I come back, there's a new fun feature or a character or something to explore that wasn't there before. And it keeps letting the game be fresh for me, which I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad that you say that because it, it really looks like they're they're just pouring so much love and so much uh, time and effort into this game. And it just keeps getting better and better. And let me also just chime in that the Switch version... Uh, it's mostly an effective port of the game. One thing I did notice is that anytime you have to like look at a bunch of cards, like if you are looking at your entire card uh, deck library, uh, it runs a little bit slower. But otherwise, it's a very effective port of the game to the Switch. Uh, there will be a mobile version coming out of it. Uh, I don't know what the release date is for that, but uh, keep an eye out for that too. That is exciting and terrifying. <laughs> for sure. So that's, uh, that's everything I've been playing, Bill. Uh, what have you been playing? Well, uh, so I've been playing, you know, a lot here and there, but the game that's really captured my attention recently is Fire Emblem Three Houses. Ooh, baby. Excellent choice. So Fire Emblem Three Houses, I actually talked about it a little bit with uh, the Game of the Year 2019 pod, but I'll go into it in more depth here. Uh, Fire Emblem is a turn-based strategy game which means uh, you know you've got a role-playing game where your characters have like stats they have equipment and like items and stuff but instead of them all lining up in a row and doing commands like that or being an action rpg where you run around you slash the monster instead they're all on a grid and they all move one at a time and when they encounter an enemy they they attack the enemy the enemy attacks back then the opposing force gets their turn they can move around the same way one at a time and you go back and forth like this until you fulfill the objective or all your people die <laughs> and sometimes that happens and then you reset <laughs> yes yeah so uh this has been a long-running nintendo series going back to like the nes it didn't really 
catch on in the United States until like the 3DS. I think Fire Emblem Awakening was the first time it really broke out. And now I think Three Houses has kind of taken it to another level of popularity among gamers. This is the only Fire Emblem game that I've ever played. But having now played it, it does make me want to go back and like play the 3DS version or play one of the previous versions because uh, I appreciate the style, like the, the, the type of game that it is. I've had that thought too. And I'm wondering if I can make that jump because a lot of the things I like about Three Houses are elements that don't appear in the older entries. So uh, oh, okay. So first of all, one of the things they added, which was a great idea, is Divine Pulse. They've literally incorporated Deus Ex Machina into the game so that <laughs> for a certain number of times per mission, you can rewind the turns as many turns as you want, going back to like the very start of the battle, to uh, like undo bad actions. Like it's very, very easy to have some unit. You know, you you walk your unit four spaces forward, and then when it gets to the enemy turn, three dudes jump out and stab your your poor little knight into nothingness. And you're like, well, there goes that guy. And in previous games, you either had to live with that, or you know, shut down the system, power it back on, load your last save. And finally, someone at Nintendo was like, you know, I think a lot of players like it when their units live. Why don't we just make it easier for them to rewind the battle in real time? And so they they kind of very thinly came up with this conceit that your character has this kind of divine power to see potential futures, which is why they could rewind time when needed to uh, save units or like redo actions. And I, I do appreciate like that they did one thing where, so if you have your character run up and attack their character and it's like an 80% chance to hit and you miss, you can't rewind and then like go back and try it again. It's going to keep the outcome of that action. So you can't just like scum your way through random encounters where it's like, well, I have a one in four chance of hitting. I'm just going to try the same attack like six times in a row to see if it'll work. It'll always preserve, I'm pretty sure, that outcome. Interesting. Unless you change like other events that lead up to it. Interesting. That's cool. I actually didn't know that, but that would prevent people from just, yeah, just spamming that one move until they hit it, right? Oh, I got a 20% chance of killing the Death Knight in one hit. I'll just reset until I do it. Exactly, yeah. It could just be observational bias on my part, but I feel like enough times I've noticed that like a, a character will crit and then the crit will be preserved across multiple you know, timelines. So it's like, well, something yeah. happened there that's like preserving that for me. So you're, you're, you're enjoying it. Uh, so the Divine Pulse helps with that uh, my enjoyment a lot. And then another thing that's also new to Three Houses that is unique is the monastery. I love that monastery. And so in between missions, your main character, who is named Byleth, Byleth can go around and interact with all the soldiers in your army, like talk with them, eat lunch with them, train with them. Sometimes eat multiple lunches in a row. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good meal. You two get out of here. You two come (laughs) over here. We're going to (laughs) eat. Professor, you've eaten so many lunches today. Shut up and eat this. I know you're going to love it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, you can learn all about your uh, troops this way. 
and find out about their backstories and like what they like and don't like. You can uh, get different uh, like tournaments. There'll be fighting tournaments. You can enter your army in. You can garden. You can fish. This is all very uh, Persona-y. If you've ever played a Persona game, it's kind of like that where you can run around and you have a certain number of activity points for each day that you can do like three different things each time you're in the monastery and you have to choose like which is the best use of your time. Until you get all your ten professor points or whatever <laughs> and you can just do everything that you want. That's true, yeah. So uh, as the game goes on, you have the opportunity to rank up your professor level, which allows you to uh, get more activity points. Here's a tip. Fish. Fish a lot and garden <laughs> a lot because those are both free actions that raise your professor level. It's just the... The, the gardening's easy. The fishing can be a little boring. So, you know, you're, wait maybe till the plenty of fish day before you uh, fish. That's a good tip, nevertheless. Uh, yeah, but I, I'm really enjoying those elements. And I wonder if I can go back now and maybe check out the 3DS games because they're lacking those. Uh, one thing that you can do is they do have casual playthroughs of the older games where you can just set it to be there's no permadeath for your units, which is you know make gonna make things a lot easier i uh i've played through three houses twice and both times i played through on whatever mode it is that means your characters don't die i think i upped the difficulty but i didn't go to that that level i do have a friend who was playing through and did it on the really high difficulty and uh whatever having the permadeath in there too but he would still restart the fights he would never leave anyone behind <laughs> um, it's so hard because they're all like this feels I know. I, in a weird way uh i feel like this is a slightly more honest pokemon where these are young men and women that you are raising and like helping them grow as people and as soldiers and there is a risk they might die uh because they're going to yep. war <laughs> yep but it's like, you know what? I put so much time into watching all those Bernadetta cutscenes. I'm not going to let her die. <laughs> no, you can't let Bernadetta die. She's too precious. She's too precious. If she's absolutely anything at all, like the way I played it, though, all of her cutscenes have her as this, like, shy, you know, coming out of her shell, young girl. You know, she's not very comfortable with everybody. Maybe she's got, like, a rough family history, you know, but she's very tentative, right? Very shy, very nervous. But then on the battlefield, she's the angel of death and rains death down on everybody from a long distance. That's about right, and yeah. And absolutely <laughs> slaughters everyone on the field yeah yeah <laughs> i can still remember her uh like the very first mission or second mission like uh she killed an enemy and her, they had a little dialogue for her it's like great i fought can i go home now <laughs> yeah yeah some of those chants like they slaughter a lot of people on the battlefield and then uh, some of the chants afterwards or the things they say or it's a little a little bizarre the best one though is uh hilda uh the girl with the pink hair from um the golden deer house uh sometimes when hilda uh kills an enemy she just chants her own name <laughs> really <laughs> so yeah someone dies and she goes hilda hilda <laughs> which is very confident of her but a bizarre choice to make when uh, people are dying <laughs> So just uh, to, you played as the Black Eagles and then the Golden Deer on your second playthrough? Yeah. 
Yep, I sure did. Okay, I'm playing through. Um, this is my first playthrough. I'm on the Black Eagles, and I just, I started it hard because I read an article yep. by uh, Patrick Klepek where he's like, he complained that normal was actually just like too easy. And yeah, generally I found hard to be not that. There have been a couple times where I've been stymied, but for the most part, hard has been not too bad. You end up doing it that like it. Especially if you're like me and you try to grind as much as you can, uh, it gets really easy really fast. That might be it, yeah. Because I'm going and doing multiple battles a month, like even like the the scrimmage battles, basically, my characters yeah. seem like they're well leveled or maybe over leveled for all like the story missions. So yeah, yeah, I I, I did the exact same thing because the you know the the RPG veteran in me is like, hey, you give me any opportunity to grind and I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna abuse it. So I would do those. Those ones that don't cost any professor points, you know, the freebies. Right. Really? And uh, so this is a bit of a tricky part of the game to talk about because uh, neither of us want to spoil what happens. Cliff doesn't want to spoil the story for me, and I don't want to spoil what I know of the story to you, the listener. But I I like the Fire Emblem story, but I can... You know how with Disco Elysium I was saying, like, I kind of hope that they can find a way to be creative with the way the, the game ends i feel like with yeah. fire emblem the story is not it's not great uh it's very okay. confused and uh the characters are a little bit confusing to follow like their motivations so without giving too much away i i for sure agree with you because after the first time i played it through i was like okay this is uh this was good. Um, I felt as though there were a bunch of different things that were left like unexplored or some things that were introduced that just never became relevant or any of that sort of stuff. But then I played it through a second time and depending on the house that you pick, it fills in a whole lot more details, which is cool and not cool at the same time, right? Yeah. You would think, I, I'm sure you, you get what I'm, I'm trying to say in the sense that if you play through it once, you get a lot of information about that one house but you don't get the whole picture but it encourages you to play it again and you want to play it again but at the same time you're like i wish i got all the information in one playthrough but you don't right yeah and i mean i'm just gonna just like overall the way the support conversations line up like you can learn a lot of cool details about the backstories behind everyone on your team but because you can do the support conversations in any order essentially they can't really allow them to influence the way the characters react outside of those support conversations yes true so like you learn something really important about like lysithia and like why she's at the monastery why she acts the way she does the things she feels all that but she really can't act on those things when you see her in like you know the general cutscenes because the game has to be designed in case you didn't discover that information i most notably i think about scenes with uh especially because you're doing black eagles scenes between dorothea and ferdinand for example when they're being very like you know there's a lot of animosity between them for one reason or another but then you see them in the hall and they're like oh hello <laughs> right, they're like right. uh, we just had a cutscene when you were yelling at each other and now you're like oh what's going on <laughs> yeah so if there was just 
like a way I, I realize from a logistical standpoint it would be very difficult to implement it into the game but if there was some way like, you could have recognition that you uh had this kind of moment with these characters that'd be great and like mechanically there is a bonus like when characters with a high support level are near each other they have better like hit and avoid stats but i don't think that's necessarily something you would notice that's actually the sort of thing which which i almost entirely ignored up until uh ever (laughs) (laughs) i i don't think it was ever like i it was only ever something that like it would like show up and it'd be like yeah bonus or whatever a level or something i'm like oh cool i never positioned my troops uh, to take advantage of that. And I'm sure in the higher difficulties, people are like, oh, yeah, absolutely have to do that. I'm like, mm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> right, yeah, I'm not very good about that either. Like, there are definitely some characters that have, like, abilities that are very... It's very important, I think, that you position them that way. Like, uh, Leone gets a plus five damage uh, boost when she's positioned within two squares of, like, a male unit. And like Sylvain gets a plus five damage boost when he is within two units, two hexes of a uh, female unit. So in theory, like you should pair them up and like have them ride around together and stab things. But you're probably not actually going to utilize that bonus. You're probably not gonna, probably not gonna do that too much. But it's uh, yeah, it's got a lot of uh, considerations, like um, a lot of tactical considerations, like. Uh, yeah, we didn't really touch about on the actual tactical gameplay at all yet. Yeah, we haven't talked about any of that, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to, to two questions as far as I'm concerned. Uh, one, uh, how much of your team are you going to devote to archers? And two, why didn't you uh, make your whole team archers uh, <laughs> earlier? <laughs> that's that's Those are the important considerations, because... Uh, uh, you can really rain death on that whole battlefield with those archers. They are uh, remarkably uh, overpowered. Uh, ex- ex- also, Lysithia as well. If you could recruit Lysithia, I know you mentioned her, uh, but the fact that she learns skills twice as fast as everybody else just means she's a nightmare on the field and destroys everybody. Man, what a game. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, yeah. Yeah. Uh... I mean, you can hear from the fact that Cliff played it through twice, and it is not a short game. And I'm 60 hours in on my first playthrough, and I'm considering a second playthrough, also with the Golden Deer. I, uh, I mean, we both like it a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. If I was going to pick a game of the year, depending on when Slay the Spire was released, I would pick Three Houses because it was just so, so much in there really really enjoyed it glad you're playing it too because it's it's very good yeah yeah same same here i uh i picked it up almost right when it came out and then let it sit for a while i played it a bit in like the fall and set it down and then i finally got into it uh, a couple months ago and i've been working on it ever since well worth it it is the sort of thing that you can play for a little bit and come back to play for a little bit come back to you know you can do little bits and pieces at a time well, all right, Cliff, in that case, then, I think that brings this episode of So Many Bits to a close. Uh, thank you very much for joining me again on this episode. If you want people to find you anywhere, either in person or online, where can they find you? The easiest thing to do is to check out my improv group. We're called Moist Theater. You can visit us at moisttheater.com or facebook.com slash moisttheater. 
and we do shows in Toronto uh, every month at the Comedy Bar, so you can come and check us out and uh, have a real good time. As for us, we can be reached at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Simplecast or stream via Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. And uh, if you want to listen to this podcast plus a bunch of other great nerdy podcasts, those are available on nerdalogs.com. Check that out. And last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer. Bye.